Coming up, what an excellent day for Catholics. Well, howdy folks, and welcome to Minute 19 of The Exorcist Minute, a show where we endeavor to examine, extrapolate, and excavate The Exorcist Minute by Terrifying Minute. My name is Lester Clark. And I'm Keenan Diaz. And we'll be your holy guides on this journey through what some have called the scariest movie of all time. So, our minute begins with our gloomy priest, played by Jason Miller, standing alone on that subway platform. And it ends with him standing alone in the darkened hallway of a dingy apartment building. Mm. And we can finally reveal this character here. This is Father Damien Karras, played, as we heard in the previous minute, by actor, playwright Jason Miller. I also said in the previous minute that I think he is my favorite character. There is so much depth to him in the book and the movie, and I think he definitely personifies those six themes we mentioned before. Speaking of which, I want to read for you how Blatty introduces him because I think it is so well done. Okay, here we go. A reading from the Book of Blatty. Chapter 2 He stood at the edge of a lonely subway platform, listening for the rumble of a train that would still the ache that was always with him, like his pulse, heard only in silence. He shifted his bag to the other hand and stared down the tunnel. Points of light, they stretched into dark like guides to hopelessness. A cough. He glanced to his left. The gray stubbled derelict numb on the ground in a pool of his own urine was sitting up. With yellowed eyes, he stared at the priest with the chipped, sad face. The priest looked away. He would come. He would whine. Could you help an old altar boy, father? Would you? The vomit-flaked hand pressing down on the shoulder, the fumbling for the metal, the reeking of the breath of a thousand confessions with the wine and the garlic and the stale mortal sins belching out altogether and smothering, smothering. The priest heard the derelict rising. Don't come. Heard a step. Oh, my God, let me be. Hiya, Fada. He winced. Sagged. Couldn't turn. He could not bear to reach for Christ again. In stench and hollow eyes. For the Christ of pus and bleeding excrement. The Christ who could not be. In absent gesture, he felt at his sleeve. As if for an unseen band of mourning. He dimly remembered another Christ. Hey, Fada! The hum of an incoming train. Then, sounds of stumbling. He looked to the tramp. He was staggering, fainting. With a blind, sudden rush, the priest was to him, caught him, dragged him to the bench against the wall. I'm a Catholic, the derelict mumbled. I'm Catholic. The priest eased him down, stretched him out, saw his train. He quickly pulled a dollar from out of his wallet and placed it on the pocket of the derelict's jacket then decided he would lose it. He plucked out the dollar and stuffed it into the urine-damp trouser pocket. Then he picked up his bag and boarded the train. He sat in a corner and pretended to sleep. At the end of the line, he walked to Fordham University. The dollar had been meant for his cab. When he reached the residence hall for visitors, he signed his name on the register. Damien Karras, he wrote. Then examined it. Something was wrong. Wearily, he remembered and added, S.J. And for those who don't know, that S.J. stands for Society of Jesus, uh, or they call them Jesuits for short. Right. So it'd be like you forgetting to sign, uh, your brother forgetting to sign Captain Clark somewhere, right? It'd be so unthinkable. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, I am a priest. 
right? right? And that's that's something that he completely forgot. Well, Jeeper is another bummer from the Book of Blatty. <laughs> right. Ooh, that's uh, some beautiful alliteration there. Uh, another bummer from the Book of Blatty. <laughs> We should re- we should replace it. I know I know we're going the whole Catholic thing, a reading from the book of blah blah blah. Right. But I like a bummer from the book of Blatty. <laughs> <laughs> it is um, right to feel bums from the Lord. Oh God. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so immediately we we see a difference here, and mm-hmm. it's a rather big one. Uh, I think Keenan, d- did you catch this? Yeah, he 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 helps the guy out instead of uh, ending and uh, walking away. Yeah, right. And so in the movie. He doesn't help the guy. It's very clear here. Um, and I hadn't seen this scene in a while, and I'm more familiar with the book. And I thought I remembered maybe uh, the movie left it ambiguous, uh, mm-hmm. but it's it's very clear. He looks at him, and then he moves on, moves away. And now I'm sort of going through my own crisis of faith here, Keenan, mm-hmm. because in previous minutes, I said that this guy was my favorite character, and I have my reasons for that. And I've built them upon maybe the version that I'm more familiar with, which is uh, the book. And I think the movie just negated that. Uh, and I, I know there are, there are, uh, going to be differences between the book and the movie. And we've already touched on a bunch of them and we agree and appreciate when a change, um, serves the film better, but this change bothers me. And, and let me tell you why. Uh, and, and and yes, we're, we're giving away a lot about Karis here in this first minute, um, with this character, but I can't help it because we need to, uh, address this part. Um, so the way that I see Karis, the way that I've always seen Karis is that Karis is somebody who feels crowded. He feels weighted down by his need to help. And that feeling of being weighted down, that feeling of uh, disgust and despair in not being able to see Christ in his fellow man leads him to think that he is a bad priest. Um, right. He talks about Christ. He talks about how he, quote, dimly remembered another Christ. And I read that as there was a time when he did these acts of love and kindness with his heart as well as with his hands, but something has happened or maybe a lot of things have happened and that's no longer the case. Um, he, he does not look to this homeless man with love the way perhaps he imagines that Christ would. And I think that's- Or what, if I could uh, you know, yes. jump in the way mm-hmm. that uh, Father Marin does. Yes, yes. We were talking before about that. Um, uh, you mentioned uh, like this kind of like impossible ideal, you know, that, uh, you know, that Father Marin has of, you know, looking with love at uh, the tea shop owner, right? Um, and looking at love, uh, you know, to all of, um, you know, humanity. And I think, yeah, that's what bothers uh, uh, Damien here. He's like, why don't I feel anything when I look at this guy? Christ would feel something. And I remember a time that I could have felt something too. So why not anymore? And I think in his mind, there are two conclusions that he draws from this. One, he's a bad priest. He's not worthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can't even look with love on his fellow human being. All he sees is uh, the vomit and uh, the filth. And that's not what Christ would see. That's not what Christ would feel. Christ would hold him close. Christ would embrace him. Christ would not even notice the smell. And because he cannot do that, he is not a good disciple of Christ. He's a bad priest and a bad person for feeling the things that he feels. Mm-hmm. Um and then he, and then he forgets to that he's a priest right it makes him right he's like am i really a priest am i can i can i use that uh sobriquet if i can you know if i can't do the things that i'm supposed to do precisely and to your point Keenan, you mentioned father Marin. i find it very interesting right karis finds it difficult to love this man right where have we heard that before all the way back at the beginning mm-hmm. father Marin sees a guy with glaucoma and he reflects that quote once he could not have loved this man right. so karis is where he karis is where Marin was once upon a time 
even as Karis helps this person, even as he helps Chris later, even as he tends to his mother, as he tends to Reagan, he has these doubts about his own goodness. Um, so that's the first conclusion I think he draws. We're, um, you know, we are getting, to, we're, we're going to introduce, sorry, I'm sort of trying not to jump ahead, but we're going to introduce pretty soon that Father Karis is Greek. Um, yes. And and then it makes me think of, you know, The Last Temptation of Christ, for instance, which is um, which is a book by a Greek uh, novelist named Nikos Kanastakis. And mm. he that book and the movie, uh, I, I know the movie. I'm going to I was like, I'm going to pretend that I've read the book if I <laughs> if I just didn't know I've seen the movie and I've read about the book. Um, but this is, you know, the Martin Scorsese's version of the movie, um, mm. which is, shows the um, the humanity of Christ. A lot of people don't, uh, a lot of people really don't like this book. They really don't like the movie. There was, mm. It was um, criticized, often banned. There were protests about it. Um, but essentially, we give these moments like Father Karras has here to Christ, wondering, mm. you know, am I a bad Christ, effectively, right? By, you know, what it's like to be mobbed by people, what it's like to have moments of weakness. Um, yeah. And the devil comes to him in the desert as it is in the Bible, but it makes explicit what those temptations are about, um, you know, one of the temptations, the last temptation to give the spoiler (laughs) is that the devil tempts him. Spoiler for the Bible, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But this is actually an ad. Uh, So the last temptation um, is when Christ is on the cross and the devil tempts him with the idea that he doesn't have to be Christ anymore. And that that's where the that's where the majority of the, um, the claims of sacrilege come out. Because um, in the in the desert, Christ is is, uh, is um, biblically uh, tempted with things like, oh, you could be a king. I could give you power. Those things, right, but, right. but this idea that what the devil could actually get um, the closest to with Christ is to say, you don't have to do this anymore. You don't have to be the the son of man anymore. And that's where the controversy comes in. Um, but but I'm I'm stricken a lot by by how Father Damien's fears here and worries here are very similar, like what it is to step away from, uh, from the priesthood. No, you're absolutely right. I, I really like that. And that's, that is a, an image of Jesus that we don't see a lot of, um, you know, you hear in the, you know, in the Bible stories, you know, when I'm growing up in Catholic school and all this stuff, um, the, you know, he, he healed this man and he helped this person and it's all kind of like, you know, flick of the wrist and bada bing, bada bang, bada boom. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and the only depiction that I can think of that kind of comes close to like what you're talking about, Keenan, in, in addition to, you know, the last temptation of Christ mm-hmm. is, uh, there was a scene in Jesus Christ superstar, uh, mm-hmm. you know, among, among all things where like, they're, they're all kind of like crowding around him. And he says, you know, there's just give me a second. There's, there's too many of you. There's too little of me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, this is, this is hard. This is like, it is a burden and we forget that. I think one of the, uh, lesser remembered things about this story is, yeah, by God turning himself into a man, according to this religion, like he takes on all of the the human frailties and all of, you know, he, Jesus gets tired. Jesus gets, um, you know, angry. He gets frustrated. He, he's exhausted sometimes. And mm-hmm. that's something that he has to deal with. Um, he, he gets afraid. He get he doubts like all of these things, um, that are not, so much depicted in uh, modern retellings of it, but it's mm-hmm. like, that's the whole point. Like right. he's human. Right. Um, and, and I really like how uh, Karis does embody these. And I do like how, like there are some select, uh, you know, uh, uh, retellings of, you know, those, those last days of Jesus that, that kind of like hone in on that and show us, mm-hmm. it's like, this is, this is how we can identify uh, with him is, is this frailty, this doubt, this fear, um, you know, this frustration, all of that stuff. And yes, what a temptation, what a temptation to, you know, forget being a king, forget, you know, uh, money and power and all that stuff, right? 
just let this all go. Right. You don't have to do this. You you can you can put this aside. Wow. Yeah, to be Christ-like, right, as Christians are asked to do is this impossible this impossible um oh, what's the word? Uh, ambition, I suppose, right? It, mm. It's it's not you're never meant to be able to reach it because I mean if you were to be Christ-like on earth, it would it would literally be giving the tunic off of your back, you know, mm-hmm. literally taking the food out of your children's mouth. It, it, it's something that um, that we would go crazy doing. I mean, um, I mean, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't know where to begin. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, just looking at the news now and like hearing, you know, huh, you know, stuff that's going on and and remembering the whole like, you know, forgive your enemies and forget. It's like some sometimes that is impossible mm-hmm. like psychologically impossible um oh we were talking about that in class right this idea of turning the other cheek which we tend to think of like okay if you're stricken then you turn the other cheek and it's like this act of defiance like i'm standing up to this person and mm-hmm. and, and showing them that they didn't affect but that's not actually what it is it is right if if you are stricken on your cheek by your enemy then your enemy must want to strike you and so you you give yourself to your enemy right that's the yeah. christian ideal yeah, yeah. Um, like, please, if if you must strike me, here's the here's your second chance. Yeah, yeah. And it is. Uh, I think. I, I think it is here that you know a lot of people who you know started out religious, mm-hmm. they maybe kind of have a falling out with religion because this is you know this is this is a a, a very big ask for people, right? Mm-hmm. You know, especially people who have who have you know had sins committed against them. To it's like, and you want me to forgive this person? You mm-hmm. want me to 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 not just forgive them but love them? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, what if what if they hurt? somebody that you love like mm-hmm. that like i can't even i cannot even fathom right but that right. is that is my my humanness you know kind of shining through and that is the frailty of you know us human beings and and i think this is what karis is struggling with right now is he's not understanding that what he is asking of himself is humanly not possible right um and he but he's drawing the conclusion th- this first conclusion that he draws is that he is he is a bad priest um, right. He is a bad disciple of Christ. And that's so that's the first um, conclusion that I, uh, I think he draws. And then the second one is that there isn't even a higher goodness at all. Mm-hmm. Um, how can there be when you have people like this living on the street, caked in vomit, soaked in their own urine? How can there be when his mother is forced to live in this hovel? Uh, how can there be when this girl is dying in front of them? How against all of these outrages and offenses that he sees every day, can there be a God who loves them and cares about them? So this is, and, and it, it's interesting because I mean, this is a man of logic. You know, he mm-hmm. he is he is a logical person. We're going to come to find out that he is, um, you know, a a doctor. He is a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, he he should know that these two conclusions that he's drawing. It's like, well, I'm you know, I'm I'm not worthy of God, but also there is no God. But I am also not worthy of this not God. Mm-hmm. He has both of these in his head at the same time. He's despairing that there is no God, but he's also despairing that he is not worthy of this God that he just, you know, like is now doubting. That's um, a lot to kick around up there. That's a lot to kick. Like, <laughs> is there any room for anything else in there? Oh my God. But here's the thing. And this is why I like him. Despite all of that, despite all of his doubts and in the face of all of these atrocities, he still helps. He still stays. And that's what I love about this character. And that's what made him uh, my favorite character. There is a, uh, a line in Marcus Zusak's uh, The Book Thief, that mm-hmm. excellent book. It, like, Go check that out, anybody, um, if you haven't read it. Um, and it's about one of uh, the characters, the main character, this little girl named Liesel. Um, she is adopted by this couple early on in the book. And her new foster father, she observes 
has this quality about him that not many adults have, but it is uh, keenly noticed by children, especially. Adults lose uh, the sense of it, but children know exactly what this quality is, even if there's no word for it. And that is the quality of not leaving. Children notice that. Um, They notice when you stay and they make that call. They say, this person is good. And in that way are maybe better judges of character than we are. Um, We may not notice uh, the good that we do or the good that we are uh, to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, uh, it's, it's very, very keenly felt by, uh, this little girl, Liesl, uh, f- towards her, her father, uh, foster father. Um, and it was, it reminded me of, uh, Damien Karras in this book. And that makes me think back to that line that we heard as Chris was walking home, right? In the previous minute, she overhears, uh, one of the two priests say, there's not a day in my life that I don't feel like a fraud. And we see Karis is one of those two priests that she overhears. Now we come to find that Karis is, like I said, a psychiatrist uh, within the church. That's his job. He counsels other priests in matters of goodness and faith, which ironically are the very things that he is struggling with. And so I love the movie's decision to make that scene ambiguous where we can't tell if it's Karis who spoke or it's the other priest. They both look equally possible, right? When you just look at the images of it, either of them could be very upset about that. And in the draft of the screenplay that we have, that conversation is uh, is it switches point of view to uh, Damien when so when Chris sees it, then we switch over to Damien, and when we get more of that conversation, and it is um, it's much more clearly about um, Father Karras and not the other guy, and and we hear um, we hear about the kind of things that he'll be worrying about that he doesn't he doesn't actually put into words until a couple of minutes from our minute now with his mother. Yes. Um, and so I wish Keenan, I really, really wish that this scene, the one that we're looking at now was a little bit more ambiguous. If we had just cut like half a second later on like Karis's face mm-hmm. as the train goes by right behind him, it's like, Froom! or on the guy's face as the light passes over it. And now we're in the next scene and he's walking down the street. I would have loved that so much more because then we would be in doubt with Karis. Did he help the guy? Is Karis a good person? We don't know. We don't know because Karis doesn't know, right? Because that that act of helping, he doesn't even uh, like think of it that way. He's like, well, if I feel bad about helping, then it doesn't matter if I help or not. So even if he does help, like if, <laughs> if you were if you were a guy, like if you were trying to, if you were counseling Karis, right? right? So Karis goes to a psychiatrist and you're the psychiatrist or or another priest, right? And you're uh, another priest and you're telling Karis, it's like, well, you know, you felt this, this disgust, but you still helped him out. Karis would like brush you away. He'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but like, I I didn't feel it. I didn't feel it. And I think that's the thing that bugs him. And so he wouldn't even remember that he helped this guy. I mean, maybe he knows with his head, but he doesn't know uh, with his heart. He's like, I should feel something too. Well, I don't have as big of a a problem with with the change uh, from the book into the screenplay and film would say that that definitely Father Karras does not give him the dollar. I I think it's early on. I mean, I don't know if we need to see our our heroes completely formed. I think this is Mm. something that will add to the haunting of him, right? We're going to have this, this small relationship here, the bigger relationship with his mother. Um, and, and these are, these are things he has to atone for by the end of the film. Okay. All right. I, I can, I can take it that way. Um, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, like our, I, I know like Karis isn't like this shining, perfect, right. you know, uh, uh, character, but, um, yeah, the, the book version, which is fine. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not quite in it where I'm comparing the quality of the book in the film. I know this is a really important book to you. So, so I get why you'd want to do that or other people wouldn't do that. But, um, you know, this idea of giving our hero this moment where he does something good, he goes out of his way to do something good. Um, mm-hmm. Later on, a very famous screenwriting book that a lot of uh, screenwriting students use, and, and it's called Save the Cat. Do you know that one? 
Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, by Blake Snyder. He's a he's a screener. It's one of the few screenwriting books that is written by someone who made a living selling screenplays, uh, which is so some people criticize uh, Blake Snyder because it's very simplistic. Um, it doesn't have it doesn't really talk a lot about artistry. It really is like, here's the nuts and bolts of how to do this. And, and um, it's the kind of things producers and executives will want you to do. And it's a favorite book of producers and executives and not necessarily of screenwriters. But the idea is like, yeah, save the cat, have your hero at the very beginning, do something heroic, have your villain at the very beginning to do something villainous um, to, to establish that. And it gives us all this sort of leeway for the, you know, the next 45 minutes, they could be ambiguous or they could even be kind of a jerk if at the beginning they pulled a cat out of the tree that they don't need to. Um, so, you know, giving, giving Damien this, this idea that he's um, giving away his last dollar, like his literally his last mm-hmm. dollar out of the pocket, that might prepare right. you in the book for, for the conversations, the very difficult conversations he's going to have with his mother next. Interesting. Okay. That's a, that's a new perspective. Um, thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Keenan. Um, and yeah, everybody check out, uh, save the cat. Uh, it's a very good book. Um, okay. So we also got to talk about this guy, uh, this guy who says, uh, could you help an old auto boy father? Um, Keenan, do, do you know about this guy? This, this actor, I mean, no, not really. Okay. So this is Vinnie Russell. Um, he was found in Manhattan, uh, by casting director, Louis de Gaimo. Um, Am I saying this right? Louis DeGuy? Louis DeGuy? Yeah, it looks um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, who wanted an authentic New York bar fly. Uh, he finds Vinny in one of these bars and he pays for his drinks all the way up until shooting day. According to the Wondery podcast that we were listening to, Inside the Exorcist, uh, this is not even a costume he's wearing. Uh, these are his actual clothes. On the day of shooting, he was so drunk that it took him or it took them five hours uh, to film him to say that one line. Uh, and then later they found out that the background noise had, uh, drowned it out. So they had to track him down again and bring him into the recording studio so that he could re-record those lines. Um, Vinny had no re- recollection of, uh, shooting this scene. He was amazed at seeing himself up on the, uh, on the big screen. It took them two more hours to get the line reading after which Vinny stands up, pulls up his pants, straightens his shirt and heads for the door, announcing that this is the last time he works with that director. <laughs> Well, good for him. He gets to be in a big movie. <laughs> I, this, like one of the biggest movies. This is <laughs> he like... gets his SAG union card. If mm-hmm. uh, if he wore his own uh, clothes to set, he gets a little extra money for bringing his own costume. So. Oh, well, there we go. I, <laughs> Great. Keenan, I do, like, do you think Friedkin paid him at all? I'm, I'm... <laughs> this is I, knowing Friedkin, knowing what we know about Friedkin. Um, <laughs> like I, it, it, this, this speaks to the point that I was just going to make. I feel like this is another case of like, there are so many other easier ways to do this, right? We could have used, <laughs> we could have used an actor, right? And it, like, even after the first recording didn't work, they could have just dubbed it over with anybody else's voice. <laughs> do, do you know that about um, Andy McDowell and Glenn Close? Do you know this story? No, 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 no. Tell me this. Story. You know, Tell um, us this story. Do you know this Christopher Lambert uh, version of Tarzan from 1984? Um, Stroke, the Legend of Tarzan. I haven't seen it, but I've heard of it. Uh, it's not very good. Some people like it, so I don't want to. Oh God, don't don't send me an email. <laughs> I, I don't I don't care for it, but some people really like it. Um, but Andy McDowell is 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 a young Andy McDowell. She's really beautiful in it. So she's Jane, and uh, and at that point she she couldn't uh, she couldn't perform without her southern accent sneaking in. Oh. She's playing Jane, and she has her you know her beautiful Andy McDowell accent. But she doesn't know how to turn it on and off yet. So she's you know the the main character of the movie. You're right. It's Tarzan and, and Jane, and they redub her entire performance with Glenn Close. <sighs> oh my god! Because <laughs> otherwise they would they would ruin the movie right with this this southern bell. Me Tarzan, you Jane, or that's not oh, my right. Yeah. <laughs> or that's Tarzan's line. <laughs> yeah, did they? Oh. Guys, we overdubbed the wrong person. Oh no, Glenn Close, go back, go back. <laughs> 
Oh no! And then like closes Tarzan's mother in the in the Disney cut Tarzan. So oh oh, I like that. Yeah. Oh, film history is full of little you know little things like that that are neat. <laughs> I've I've heard of that. I've heard of other instances where uh, actors were overdubbed mm-hmm. and they didn't even know it right. until like the 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 screening. Mm-hmm. Like they they saw it in the audience with uh, with everybody else, and they were like, "That's not my voice." <laughs> like I can't, I can't recall any, any specific stories right now, but like, yeah, it, it, like that's, that sounds like a, sounds like other stories that I've heard. Or, you know, people go to the premiere and they watch the movie and then that's how they find out they've been cut out of the film. Filmmakers address this. Tell, tell, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At least give them a heads up. You know, people Let get cut know, out all just the a time. Heads up. Right. People get cut out of movies all the time. I've been cut out of movies, you know, oh. <laughs> buy them dinner. Jesus. You know. <laughs> Or an email or a text or something. God. Um, but yeah, so so yeah, I don't I don't I don't know. Um this is this is his only role. Uh, I checked uh, and the only other thing that he's in on IMDB is like this history of horror mm. uh, thing, which I assume is, you know, talking about his role in uh in this film. Right. Um yeah. So uh yeah, yeah. Like I feel like this could have been done like a lot easier but this is just one of those like obsessions of freakins where he's right. like no we have to have an actual uh you know mm-hmm. uh, barfly we have to have an at like and and it has to be his voice yeah, like, look at but him. who would know yeah, yeah right. he's who perfect. would know <laughs> yeah and, and yes no he, he is absolutely perfect and right. and again will will be uh he is he is uh, burned into uh, the the celluloid of this film um that will never go away yeah <laughs> Okay, so then we get to the next scene um, after after Karis clearly walks off, right? Right. Um, and so I'm actually not too familiar with New York. I'm assuming this is New York. Both the book and the screenplay uh, say that it is. Uh, right. The screenplay says it's East 21st Street, which I checked uh, by public transportation, mm-hmm. is about four and a half hours uh, oh, okay. today. Uh, so it might have been even longer right. back then, but yeah. And, so, and the book was saying he's, he's going to Fordham University to stay at the dorm there. So that's in New York City, right? Right, right. So, um, so he's traveling four and a half hours to New York to visit this neighborhood that's not very nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they go out of their way to show us that uh, with the kids jumping on the car and such. And he walks down this street, down this sidewalk lined with uh, trash cans, down this row of apartment building, buildings, uh, and each one looks like worse than the last. And uh, all the while, he is sucking on this cigarette like his life depends on it. He's got this look of like, focus and determination he is looking straight ahead he's heading somewhere and we find out that where he's heading is this last apartment building um the doorway to which looks absolutely vile like compared to the other ones yeah uh, and in this in this movie version right we have in addition to what Bullhead is talking about in the book we have the, the sounds of these kids jumping on this car that just been abandoned there and it, it's really pretty jarring sound <laughs> it's rather loud right um and he's walking past you know graffiti that we see i'm assuming that this is you know even when you go to a location you do have to do some dressing they probably put the trash can exactly where they wanted to etc they might have added some graffiti but but this this feels you know this is the advantage of going to a real location right in New York City and getting getting this look and feel of it. Um, storefronts, there's a couple of storefronts mixed in with the residential. All the storefronts are closed as if, you know, they used to be buildings. Um, these kids are playing football in the in the street, but we don't get the sense that they have had to to stop for cars. Like it feels like there's no, you know, that there are no cars that come down here anymore. And just like the different paint jobs. So everything is like disgusting. There's blue and yellow and red buildings that just don't match each other. And there's no like homogeny at all. No, no. Um, so now we cut from the chaos outside to an inside that 
uh, is quieter, but with chaos that is like behind doors or on the other side of walls. We have mm-hmm. babies crying. We have horns honkings, uh, uh, honking still from in, uh, still from outside. Um, he goes up this flight of stairs and stops at a door. And that's where we got to stop as well, because that's the end of our minute. Mm-hmm. Um, Keenan, is there anything else we need to cover in this minute? Yeah, I wanted to bring up this this really haunting shot of of the uh, the man Vinnie Russell who um, is staring right at Karis. You know, <laughs> as the car goes by, it's a very very close shot for this you know one line character, and he's asking for this money, and the train is going by, and it's like blinking on him. And we've had a couple of these right through Father Marin's point of view of people staring right, right at him. And, and we're supposed to feel, you know, maybe afraid, maybe a little xenophobic, you know, all those things we've talked about, but, but we never really doubt that Marin, you know, is, um, is capable of, of loving them. And here, as we said, everybody is, I, th- I can't remember if you said earlier, if they're, if they're possessed or they're haunted, but we sort of have the same idea. Like this feels like, like a ghost looking at us. Ah, oh, okay. Right. Um, and just the idea of how powerful it is to be looked at. Um, mm-hmm. So this movie, this movie has been laying this groundwork for some time and just what it is to be looked at by someone who you don't want to be looked at by and mm-hmm. just how scary that can be. Um, and Karis is going to go through that. Obviously, Chris is going to go through that. But, right. but even before Father Damien or Father Karis meets uh, the demon, right, we have mm-hmm. that problem, mm-hmm. too. Like people staring like you, you, what are you going to do? Interesting. Wow. Oh man, that's, that's a whole nother level, uh, to, yeah, the, the thing that I was talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody being, uh, possessed, everybody being haunted by, by something. Um, and it's strange to think like you, you, you wouldn't expect it in a movie like the exorcist, um, <laughs> that what they're, what they're haunted by is, uh, humanity. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. Wow. Oh, dang. Oh, thank you, Keenan. That, that is really awesome. Um, and folks, before we say goodbye, what a momentous occasion. We just got a message from one of our listeners. This is really, really exciting. And if you want to write in with thoughts, suggestions, commentary, corrections, please feel free. The Exorcist Minute at gmail.com. That's all one word. All right, let's get down. Let's get down to this uh, letter. So uh, this is from this is from uh, Michael uh, Potate. I think I'm. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, it could be Potate, right? P O T E E T. And uh, he says, uh, "Loving your Exorcist podcast." He says, "Hi, Lester and Keenan. I just watched The Exorcist for the first time at a local theater this week." What? Oh, that's so fun! Uh, I'm very jelly, as the kids say. Mm-hmm. Um, as part of a cinema seminar. Oh my gosh, I almost stumbled all over that. Seminar, cinema. cinema. See, we got cin- cinema, cinema seminar, cinema seminar. My God, um, event. And looking for more information uh, about it, I found your excellent podcast. Oh, I'm especially glad to have found it when I did because I'm not that far behind listening to minute five right now. Oh my God, Keenan, they're catching up. (laughs) We have to put out more content. We we gotta, we gotta make more content. Um, I really appreciate the level of detail you're bringing out about the film. Oh, for example, I am so glad you pointed out the first spoken words in the film are God is the greatest in the Muslim call to prayer. I hadn't thought about it, but the fact that those words are the film's thesis statement, so Mm -hmm. to speak, reinforces my sense that this is a profoundly religious, if not altogether conventionally so, movie. Oh, 
Um, speaking of things religious, let me push my glasses up the bridge of my nose. Oh, very oh. good. But this is the best kind of uh, reader for our show, I think. He is one of us. You know. <laughs> <He's>... <laughs> <laughs> um, so responding to uh, Max von Sydow playing Jesus, in your Minute 3 episode, you got the year he played Jesus right. Oh, my God. This has been but... – bo- I knew I got this wrong and this <sighs> has thought, been bothering me. He was not you were gonna, in – You thought you were going to get away with it. <laughs> he was not in The King of Kings. That's the 1920s <laughs> version. He was in The Greatest Story Ever Told. And that is and that is what our, our friend Mike <laughs> writes here. Oh goodness. <laughs> I think it was actually good that I didn't read this to you first. <laughs> no, 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 no. I did not have anything else to it. But that that's a kind of thing that I I, I sleep I, I'm heading to sleep and like <laughs> as Mike Myers says, I cry myself to sleep in my giant pillow oh. <laughs> thinking about the mistakes that I made. Yes. And Captain Howdy's just like, hey, hey. <laughs> remember how you messed up that movie oh, title? Oh, I remember. People are going to remember it. People are unsubscribing from the show. Oh, but yeah. So uh, to uh, to to go back to Mike's letter. So he says exactly as you said, right? Max played Christ in 1965 is the greatest story ever told. But in 1961's King of Kings, mm-hmm. Christ was played by Jeffrey Hunter. Jeffrey Hunter, who's yes. the original Captain Pike on, yeah. um, oh, on we Star go. Yeah. Trek. Best known yeah. to Star Trek fans oh. like me. <laughs> <laughs> Did I write this letter? Did I have like an ambient mix up and write this correction in a fugue state? Keenan, let's let this guy talk. Let's let. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Keenan is so he is so ready to to uh, admit his mistake. So yeah, best known to Star Trek fans like me as the first captain of the Enterprise uh, we ever saw, Captain Christopher Pike. That's right. Um, but then, okay, so Mike continues. He says, "I am curious." Why was it that the non-standard opening credits in The Godfather and The Exorcist didn't provoke a feud with the Directors Guild, but Star Wars's non-standard credits did? Yeah, that a- was a question that I had myself because we had um, – yeah, we've talked about that, about how Star Wars starts this debate and George Lucas uh, leaves the DGA um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. over it. But yeah, I'm not sure why why that was. I have also heard that it's because um, the end credits for, for Star Wars were particularly long, that he wanted mm. everyone who worked on the film to, to get credit. So I think, it's, I think it's both of those things combined. But I, I would love to know more about that if anyone has it. So to answer your question, Mike, we don't know. Um, <laughs> Uh, yes. So anybody else who wants to join in on this conversation uh, with me, Keenan, and now Mike, uh, please, please, uh, you can be cool like Mike and you can uh, you can engage with us. Uh, but uh, Mike continues. He says, I admire anyone who has the discipline to scrutinize movies minute by minute. I had an idea. I'd blog about Star Trek two uh, four minutes at a time earlier this year, oh. but abandoned the project. F- and then he's dash for now. Oh, good. Only eight minutes in. Well, no, I was going to say, Mike, keep doing it. Yeah, keep going. Um, That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah I'm glad he's saying for now. He's for now, come back yes. to it. Um, so he says, keep up the great podcast. I'm uh, coming to this cinema classic late, but glad you have your podcast bringing me up to speed. Um, and then I, I reached out to him and I, I wanted to see what this, uh, this blog was. Mm-hmm. Right. So he says, as for my blog, it's very sporadic and I may not keep it, but you could mention my Twitter handle is BiblioMike. Uh, it's one word, Biblio Mike, and I'm the contributor to Red Shirts Always Die, a Star Trek blog, uh, but not mine alone. Uh, so, yeah, so everyone, uh, go check that out. Uh, Biblio Mike on Twitter. Ooh, Twitter is. Uh 
Yeah, does Twitter exist by the time that we, <laughs> yeah. that we air this? I'm not sure. Okay, but. so by the time we put this out, <laughs> if Twitter is still around, um, then yeah, check out BiblioMike. Uh, and Red Shirts Always Die is the Star Trek blog, so check that out. That's really great, Mike. As yeah. our first um, person to send us a message through your Ouija board, we mm-hmm. are forever indebted to you. Right. Uh, and I really, really hope that you get your blog back in. I've been, I've been really struck by, by how much we're getting out of uh, these close, close readings of, of The Exorcist. Yes, yes. There is stuff, there is stuff that even we're kind of like seeing for the first time, even though like we've both seen this movie, you know, many uh, times, many times. Right. And I've read the book and, and just like, as, but as we're, we're talking about it, it's like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Right. And I, I can't believe you got to see it recently. Like I know people who see movies later, read books, like there's always this pressure and, and like this apology and I have a film students. So they, uh, I just had someone apologize for not having seen Moonlight earlier. You know, it's like, oh, I just saw Moonlight. I know, I know it's so wrong. It's so great. Whenever you're picking up something um, at any time in your life, um, mm. The those screenings where they they show The Exorcist or something like that or The Shining in movie theaters around mm-hmm. Halloween and you get to bring people who have never seen it before. Those are some of the f- most fun movie going experiences I've ever had showing mm-hmm. something like that um, or, or a Hitchcock movie to new audiences. So cool. Yes. I wish I was there. Oh man, yeah, both of us. So you you have had an experience, uh, Mike, that we have not yet. I I am I am. The the moment I find out that uh, the Exorcist is in theaters again, I am I am running to that theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, thank you so much, Mike. And again, guys, uh, if you want uh, to be like Mike and uh, and and uh, send us messages, um, if you'd like to leave us a message, we'll be sure that. Well, I guess we get it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> realizing as I was saying it, that doesn't that kind of doesn't work. Uh, whatever. <laughs> Well, uh, thank you again, Mike, or me from the future, whoever mm. wrote this, this email. <laughs> I'm sorry that I got so, uh, I can't, you know, I'm so upset that I was the one who was corrected first and not you. I, I, you know, I, I love you, Lester. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, I wish they had sent a correction to you first. I was hoping, but, oh, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I have made many and many a mistake. Um, it's just, it's a matter of time, Kenan. It's a matter of time before somebody, uh, you know, uh, you know drops drops that in our lap um and i I, I, i'll be i'll be so excited when that happens um (laughs) yes love it love it hey i might just uh i just i just might start making mistakes on purpose (laughs) just to see if anybody's listening from now on any of our mistakes are ones we made on purpose in order Mm -hmm. to drive up engagement with our young fans right yeah to get that to get that engagement right (laughs) yeah <sighs> okay. Well, thank you so much, Mike. And uh, yeah, folks, um, the exorcist minute at gmail.com right in. And uh, yeah, we will. Uh, and, and also, yeah, like uh, um, uh, indicate whether or not you want us to read it on the air, whether you want us to, to name you. Um, and uh, yeah, and we'll, uh, we'll read your, we'll read your stuff. All right. Uh, yeah. I, I think we covered a lot in this minute. Uh, this, this was a really good minute. Um, uh Anything, anything else you wanted to add? No, Keenan? I think we got it. Okay. So, Keenan, are you thinking what I'm thinking? I think I am, Lester. Okay, folks. Until next time. The, the power, power of Tarzan, Tarzan compels, compels you. you. Me, Tarzan. You, Jane. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. <laughs>